All right. Good morning. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Welcome to New Hope, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. I'm so glad that you have chosen to spend a bit of your day with us. Uh, if you're joining us live, welcome. Uh, if you're watching us at, a, at another time, we're thrilled that you found your way here, and I encourage you, uh, please go on ournewhope.org and, and learn more about our church. I, um, uh, up front here, I, I have some news to share with you. Uh, I am pleased to see, we've been pleased to see that the... Okay, there was a ringing, I don't know what that was. Anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pleased to see that the, the pandemic numbers <clears throat> are, uh, are, are on a downward trend. Uh, vaccines are getting out there, safety measures having effects and all that. So uh, because of that, <clears throat> beginning next week, we're going to move back to the orange phase of re-entry. Basically, the orange, or orange phase is, is what we did last fall. Um, uh, folks in the sanctuary will you know, be asked to wear masks and the pews are separated with, with tape. And also, like before, we're, we're never going to stop doing our, our live stream. We're not gonna, we have no plans to stop our, our, our service live stream, but um, it, it, because it's understandable for now that, that many will still choose to worship from home. And um, you know, we continue to be eternally grateful to Dan Holosky and, and Steve Chastain and others who have worked hard at, at making this live stream a possibility. Uh, but again, Starting next Sunday, we will open our doors uh, and encourage anyone who'd like to be here for in-person worship to do so. Um, hopefully, in the, in the coming months, numbers will continue to go down, and we're going to lift other restrictions and start kids' ministry again. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, also, uh, speaking of kids' ministry, uh, I hope you saw last week in the last week's Inu Hope uh, the other day that uh, we actually have an in-person kids' event that's coming up. On the, on the morning of March 27th, uh, our New Hope's children's ministry will, will host an egg hunt. Um, you, you can see your E-New Hope for uh, more information and for the, the RSVP there. We're asking folks to RSVP, and if you'd like more information, you can contact our new children's ministry director, Jessica Gore. She's been working hard on this, and it's going to be a fantastic, safe event. So, all right, that catches us up on business. Now, this morning, we're continuing our series, Rebellion. Uh, this series is a look at the, the section of Scripture from Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 11, which is, a, is the part of the Bible, as Brian mentioned before, it, it sets up um, the various dimensions of human sinfulness. It, 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 it sets up the, the various dimensions of human brokenness. Uh, for me... When I read these stories, my first thought is to consider the extent to which, like, th this is history, um, as opposed to, to maybe mythological language and how these stories came to be familiar in the, in the wider culture. I want to understand where they come from, you know? I want to understand how these stories came to be such a, a, an important part of the Word of God. Last week, we looked at the story of Adam and Eve for the next two weeks. Uh, we'll look at the story of Noah and then the Tower of Babel. These ancient tales have found their way into modern culture, and, and I think that that is something for us to pay attention to. What is it about these stories, about these tales, that folks can relate to? I, I think that for Christians, 
the fundamental thing about these stories is that they are truth. They contain truth, but they, it's even more than that. They, they are truth. There's something about them that not only speaks to um, the, the, the stories themselves, but they speak to today. They speak to the human condition right now. To be honest, I don't need a textbook or even the Bible, really, to tell me that, that something isn't right with the world. Uh, like the movie The Matrix taught us. You, you can't always explain it, but it's there. It's like a splinter in your mind. Last week we saw two people, Adam and Eve, disobey a simple instruction, and then we saw them shift the blame to others rather than take responsibility for their own actions. We saw them rebel against the way of their Creator, and, and we saw them then choose a path of selfish rebellion before considering the consequences. I don't know about you, but for me, that is not an abstract fairy tale. That's my biography. So when I see these stories, my call is to be honest with them and confess my own propensity to rebel and opt for the easy way, the selfish way, the way that shifts the blame onto others instead of the way uh, instead of following the way of my Creator. I hope that you don't hear that as me being hard on myself. No, my aim is not to be hard on myself. Uh, my aim is to be honest about myself. What confession does for us is names those things which drive us to lose the plot. If, if I am envious and jealous of another human being in ways that objectify them, in ways that, uh, that minimize their story, I've lost the plot of gratitude for the good gifts that God has put in my life. Fundamental to the Christian worldview is the understanding that God loves this world so much. We see that right there in John 3.16. There are lots of things about this world, and therefore myself. That, that I should celebrate and affirm. It's not self-centered to say that I'm glad God created me. And I'd say the same about each one of you. This is a series on sin and the dangers of it, but the reason why sin is such a problem is because it keeps us from being the person that God created us to be. Each of us were created for a purpose. Paul tells us in Ephesians, that we are God's workmanship, created for, for meaning there's, there's purpose in there, we were created for good works. The eternal God of the universe has a purpose for your life. And what these stories at the, at the beginning of the Bible show us is the ways in which our selfish behavior can get in the way of that purpose and force us to lose the plot. Today's story, it's a rated PG-13 one, by the way, uh, is as dark, um, as dark as it is, 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 is certainly no exception. So turn with me to the Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Now, Adam knew... Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from, with the help of the Lord. 
Uh, the word Cain sounds a lot like the Hebrew word gotten, so it's kind of a play on that. And she again bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. So, two things to note as the author sets up the plot. First, there is what we could call a progressive generational movement to the text. It's assumed that the man and the wife, the man and the woman, would be together intimately, and, and that part of the, in, in, in their marital experience, their marital experience, and that the conception of children, that children would follow and be a part of that. But it's interesting. Notice that we're told that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. We're not told that they knew each other in order that they might conceive. So intimacy is an, act of, uh, an aspect of human life that is appropriately expressed within the boundaries of marriage, but not just for the purposes of marriage. Uh, I'm sorry, not for just for the purposes of procreation. Although we're on the other side of the fall here, the call for, for two to become one flesh here is still, a, a vital, is still vital in terms of human intimacy, specifically marital intimacy. So uh, that kind of intimacy or, or sex doesn't play too much of a role in today's story, but it's important to remember that, that it is a part of the story moving forward and an expression of it outside of the bounds of, human, um, of, of the marital relationship will be seen as further rebellion. So why bring that up? More generally, what it speaks to is a fundamental call to relational integrity. See, you and I weren't put on this earth alone. We are in relationship with other human beings, and and that's going to factor greatly into the story of our lives, the stories of our lives, for better or for worse. And that leads us to the other interesting thing here is it's that the, the character of these two sons throughout the rest of the Bible, we're going to repeatedly see stories that essentially begin anytime the Bible says something to the, this effect, make sure your, 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 your eyebrows are raised and you're paying attention. We see these stories that essentially begin once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons, Cain and Abel. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, the prodigal son and his brother. We also see this theme continued in various other ways in the Old Testament with with Joseph and his brothers and Ruth and Naomi and David and his brothers, David and Jonathan, on and on and on and on. In the New Testament, we also see these themes continued with, with Jesus and his disciples, Jews, Gentiles, the church and the world. Repeatedly, we see the theme of like parallel individuals or communities living out their stories, making certain choices for or against their brethren along the way. Why do I bring this up? Because the Bible is a story of relationship and community. Our call is to work together, each bringing our own God-given talents to the table in a cooperative fellowship. That's the image of the church, right? But sadly, sadly we'll see human rebellion or sin get in the way. The consequences of those actions for good or for evil will not only affect the characters themselves, but also future generations, right? More on that as we go along. But but it's interesting that we're told specifically about the son's jobs. 
Cain was a farmer. Abel was a cowboy. This is not a story of how God prefers one job over the other. It's a story of the consequences of individuals who, who rebel against not only their brethren, but also against God and the result of their choices. Picking back up, Genesis 4, verse 3. Now, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the, the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and it, its desire is contrary to you. But you, you Cain, you, you must rule over it. Again, two points of note here. First, there is the expectation of worship. The expectation to worship God, and the nature of that worship is by, get this, the nature of that worship is by definition sacrificial, meaning it costs the, the characters something. The worship would be offered in tangible ways, involving the, the fruits of the character's labor. Your relationship with God isn't just something that you do on the side, for on Sundays, for instance. It is intimately connected to every other aspect of your life, your family, your work, your, your trips to the grocery store, everything, your offering, your life offering. I love what Jason said, not, not just of money, time, talent, and treasure, but of our hearts. Our offerings to God are going to look an awful lot like the fruit of our labor. They're going to flow from the fruit of our labor. In, in Cain and Abel's case, it was crops and livestock. In our case, it is time, talent, and treasure, or, or whatever we do for a living. But our worship is going to flow from real life. Worship is going to flow from real life resources. That's the point. If you're a business executive, it is assumed by God that your work will be to the glory of God, meaning pleasing to God. If you make coffee at Starbucks, it's assumed that your work will be to the glory of God. Work is an expected aspect of life, and worship will flow from work. See, worship isn't something that is detached from the normal pace of life. It is your life. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever gotten into work in the morning? It's, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whenever you get, to the work, you get to the job, when you get into whatever it is you're doing, and you take off your coat, and maybe you sit down, and you got a cup of coffee, and you're about ready to get to work, and your first thought is, okay, it's time to worship God. Whatever it is, you know, what, whatever it is that, that, that you do, are you prepared to, to sit down? Are you prepared to, to, to stand up and, and to go about the business of work, whatever it is, you know, construction or working on a computer or writing emails or teaching children? I don't know what it is for you. And in fact, I do know what it is for you because I happen to know a lot of you. And I know that every one of you listening to this can worship God and do worship God, frankly, um, through their, their normal everyday life. 
That's what it's all about. Worship isn't something that we do for an hour on Sundays. Worship is a 24-7 experience. It's also clear here that there is appropriate and inappropriate ways to give offerings to God. A common interpretation of this text is for preachers to point out that God had favor on Abel's offering, but not Cain's, so what's the difference? The story tells us that Cain brought an an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought the first fruit of of his flock. Abel brought the, 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 the first fruits, the, the best portion, and evidently that's what God honored. The, the principle of first fruits is important because it stresses the, the sacrificial aspect of offering. Worship costs us something because it reminds us that it's not all about us. Offering the fruits of our labor costs us something. Many have seen this as an as instructional, as so instructional that they seek to, to give God the, their tithe. Um, not just a tithe means tenth. Uh, so they seek to give not, not just a tenth of their paycheck, but the, but the first tenth of their paycheck. They, they give to God before anything else. But the point here is not to get wrapped up in legalistic percentages. It is to stress that God desires that we offer Him our best. And that offering is going to be, by its nature, by its very nature, sacrificial. It's going to be noticeably generous. And I'm actually not just talking about money here. I mean, what about our time? What about our talents? Are Are we taking the best of what we have and giving it to God, or are we throwing God the leftovers? I mean, we're in Lent right now. Lent is traditionally a time of intentional prayer and devotion. Now, now for me, there are certain times of the day when I am more likely to be alert. I'm more likely to be at my best. Times when, when I'm more uh, alert to, to, to the world around me, more likely to be productive, more likely to be successful. When, uh, what, I, what if I aimed my devotional time my time with God, my time for prayer and devotion, what if I aimed my prayer and devotion time to, to the half hour at, the, at that time of the day? Maybe rather than later on in the evening or, or something like that when my, you know, my, my mind is a, is a blur. Um, other people, it's different. Other, other people are wide awake at 8 or 9 o'clock at night and I'm not one of those people, but other people are. And maybe for you, that's the time that you need to say, well, you know what, at 8 o'clock at night, that's, that's when I'm, I'm going give to give, uh, give God my prayer and devotion time. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe that means getting up earlier or, and arriving at work a half hour earlier or staying a half hour late. I don't know. Maybe it means helping your spouse get the time with God that they need for you to be sacrificial about saying, you know what, Honey, I know you need time. And I know here, here's something that I could do to help you get the time that you need. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but my, my question is this. When it comes to prayer and devotion, are you giving God your best? If we were to look at your calendar, would we know you're a Christian? I know that for those of us with little kids, it is hard to imagine any 30 minutes to yourself, but... I wonder if there isn't just some small step that you could take in the direction of giving God your best. 
Maybe it's a financial choice to, to, begin, or, or to begin giving or to increase giving. As, as a side note, I'll mention how grateful I am uh, that giving, even in the midst of COVID, giving has been strong over the past year. And I just want to thank you for your generosity. I want to thank you for your, your faithfulness. You know, we're, we're not interested in trading Walter. We, we, we know that the, the, the church God is calling us to be isn't the church that we are today. We're unapologetic in our hope that, that we'll grow in every sense of the word growth. So perhaps God is calling you to step up in regards to financial contribution to the local church, but, but that's not the only thing in view here. Maybe it's a calendar choice to mark off time with God. Maybe it's be about being more intentional about doing your daily work to God's glory. Each person is going to be different, but here's the funny thing. I find that when I have my priorities straight, the other aspects of my life don't suffer as a result. Actually, they tend to benefit from it. Let me say that again. I find that when I have my priorities straight, the other aspects of my life don't suffer as a result. Actually, they tend to benefit from it. Spending 30 minutes alone with God each morning is going to make me a better husband. 30 minutes alone with God is going to make me a better father. It's going to make me better at my job. It's going to make me more effective for my, wife, for my community. Giving resources, financial resources to the local church helps me not to spend my money recklessly. And I find that when my, my priorities are prioritized, I see positive results in every aspect of my life. So, back to the story. It's also important to think about Cain's reaction to God not regarding his offering and God's response to him as a result. We're told that um, when God didn't regard, Cain, uh, regard Cain's offering, uh, he became angry and his face fell. Anger and depression. Not exactly abstract principles in our day and age. A common interpretation of this story is to assume that God didn't regard Cain's offering because it wasn't the fruits, first fruits of his later labor, but um, it's hardly spelled out. Even after he becomes angry, there seems to be an undercurrent theme here that life isn't always going to be fair. At least life isn't going to always seem fair. There is going to be mysterious times when we're not quite sure why things happened the way that we did. Why, why did we get COVID? Why, why, why are we struggling through this, this year-long pandemic, year-plus-long pandemic? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Cain didn't offer the first fruits of his labor because he was working too hard, not working not hard enough. Maybe Cain didn't offer the first fruits of his labor because he was working so hard that he failed to think soberly about the aspects of, his, of, of the work that he was giving to God. Something happened that he didn't understand, and his reaction was, was not trust and obedience. It was anger and then depression. Again, this isn't an abstract principle. Your boss calls you into the office and tells you, you know, in a rather large, uh, loud, rather sharp tone that, about a way that you could have done your job better. And your reaction might first be angry. 
or, or, or anger. You know, maybe, maybe your parents, your mom or your dad tell you about something that you could have done and your first reaction is angry, is anger. Um, it, it, it might be getting angry at your boss or, or maybe other co-workers and you're saying to yourself, ah, it's their fault, they're no good. But in time, that, that anger turns to, to depression. It starts, the, the, the kind of the, 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 the anger towards others eventually starts you start internalizing that, and then that anger turns into depression, and then it becomes, it's my fault, it's all my fault, I'm no good. And the next thing you know, you have all sorts of angry, depressed, anxiety, stressful, all kinds of emotions circling in your head, and you don't know what to do with them. And so, we do see God in this story stepping in for a sort of like Bob Saget, Father Knows Best moment. What's on your mind, son? I can tell that you're both angry and sad, but remember, if you do well, you will be accepted by me, but failure is a part of life. When we fail, it's easy to get angry. It's easy to get sad. It's easy to attempt to either blame others or to internalize shame, but neither of those reactions are going to be helpful. In other words, sin... In the, in, the, in the wake of failure, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is contrary to what's best for you. Your job is to rule over it through self-control. You see, when we're called out on something, the easy reaction would be to either blame someone else or to internalize the shame, and neither of those reactions is going to move the ball down the field. What will move the story forward in a good way would be to take ownership of our failings and learn from them in order to help tomorrow be a better day. The Apostle Paul even includes the term uh, enkratea, enkratea, yeah, as a fruit of the Spirit, Evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life in Kratea is usually translated self-control. Self-control is the mastering of one's desires, passions, and appetites. Um, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, professionally, financially, sexually. These are all common aspects of life. Our call is to give God our best and then master our passions in order that we might build on our successes and learn from our failures all to God's glory. Paul tells us that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The point was never perfection, at least not by our own strength. The point was always the process of transformation, the process of sanctification, the Holy Spirit working in us, transforming us more into the likely the image of Christ. Sometimes you might get angry and depressed that you haven't reached your destination yet, but embrace the journey. Because here's the hard truth. You were never promised the answers, and you're certainly not entitled to them. The Bible contains answers, Jesus being the chief one, but, but at its heart, the Bible is it's not really a book about answers. It's a book that teaches us to ask the right questions. It's a book that helps, us sh that, that helps to shape us for the journey. I mean, have you noticed how much of the Bible is written in narrative form? The Bible's not a systematic theology textbook. The Bible is a stories and poetry and letters and, 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 and narratives to be wrestled with. So God says, 
to Cain's sin. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you because I created you for a purpose, God says. But you, you must master it. And here's the truth. God's not going anywhere. Sadly, though, Cain doesn't take his advice. And we see what happens then when sin and pride and jealousy and envy overtake his life. Verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, basically, hey, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field... Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground that shall no longer yield to you its strength, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Whoever finds me will will kill me. And the Lord says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. First, deflection. God asks, where is Abel? And Cain responds, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Lies, bitterness, anger, boiling up in Cain to the point where he takes his own brother's life and now backtalk to God. Sure, that's going to go over well. In response to his own sin, Cain's reaction is to go inward rather than to reach out to God. His reaction is to ask God a silly question. Am I my brother's keeper? No, Cain. You're not your brother's keeper. You're your brother's brother. And you failed your brother. And right now, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Pride, jealousy, envy. Cain allowed these things to fester in his heart until his heart was black black as night. And then he acted on that dark passion, and another human being paid the price. This is a story that has been told repeatedly throughout human history. The other human being not just being a random stranger, as if that wouldn't be bad enough, but his own brother, his own flesh and blood. Cain sacrificed community on the altar of pride, and blood was spilled as a result of it. Here's the difficult principle, friends. When we fail to master our own sin, it is the people we love the most who will be hurt the most. When we fail to master our own sin, it is the people we love the most who we will hurt the most. 
I'm called to be of one flesh with my wife. And I'm called to be a father to two boys. When I fail to address the sins of, uh, uh, in my life, when I fail to offer that, that offering of my heart to God and follow in His path, it is them that will often, most often suffer the consequences the most. That's hard. But I also hope that that will drive us to do the difficult work, the difficult work of confession, the difficult work of, of, of partnership with another human being that, that maybe we need to be more intentional about sitting down, confessing our sins to one another, about reminding each other of who we are in Christ, that Christ has called all of us to a, to a new way of being human. So rather than going inward, I don't know, Am I my brother's keeper? Rather than, than, than turning to my own anger and my depression, instead I'm honest and I confess honesty and integrity to, to friends. And I say, I don't have the answer here and I need help, friends. I need prayer. I need support. That's why the church exists. That's why we're a community together. That's why it's so important for us to gather together because it's important for us to be in each other's lives. Yeah, we need to confess our sins to one another, but we also need to remind each other that, hey, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all in this together, you know? And here's the final thing. The final thing about this story is that hope is present. I love God's not so. Cain, you are in your head about what the consequences of your actions are going to be. There will be consequences to your actions, but don't you go defining them based on your own anger and depression. I define your future, and your future is marked by mercy. Just as God showed mercy to Cain's parents, he also shows mercy to Cain as well. Mercy that speaks to God's own character. The story of the Bible is the story of a God who's calling us home, who's saying, you you guys have have wandered off the plot. I'm calling you back to to the path, not just because... Sin is naughty and, I'm, and, and you're breaking the rules. No, because sin hurts you. Sin keeps you from being the person that you were created to be. Sin keeps you from being the, the father or the mother or the husband or the wife, the, the worker, the, 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 the whatever. Sin keeps you from being that, the, the best version of yourself. So the church exists in order to follow Christ's lead at showing love towards one another and being a community so defined by love and mercy and forgiveness and love and acceptance that, that we, we build into each other, we gather together and we say, our past will not define us. Our past will not define us. Our future in Christ will define us. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means. That's why confession of sin is so important. Um, that's why we name these things because God is calling us to a better way. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this community. I thank you that this is a safe place, a place of love, acceptance, and forgiveness, a place that, 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 um, that we gather in, in worship, in house churches, in service to our community, and we do so all with this this, this, this centerpiece of the gospel that your son, Jesus Christ, has announced that, 
that the kingdom has come. The kingdom is at hand. It's within each one of our grasp. Our call is to, to, to live a life as though you are on the throne, a, a life defined by love, acceptance, and forgiveness towards others. Sadly, the, the truth of our, our, of our flesh is that, yeah, we hurt one another when we fail to master our sins. But the truth of the gospel is that that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story by a long shot. The end of the story is the reunified, the cosmic reconciliation of heaven and earth where we are one with God and one with, with each other in eternal community. Our goal as a church is to anticipate that reality today. Live now like Jesus is on the throne because he is. Father, we love you so much. Um, give us the courage, the strength to, to, to do the necessary work um, with this word, to be challenged by this, and maybe it, it, to talk to people, to talk to our, our, our communities. Maybe it's something that a house church needs to discuss. Maybe it's a one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversation over a cup of coffee. Um, how, how do I master this thing, of, of the, 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 these sinful desires in my head, and look, look instead to Christ? Father, you've called us to a better way. Help us to live into it. Christ's name, amen.